What up, what up, what up? Welcome back, goalies, to Between Two Posts. And uh, joining us this week, between these two posts, is the one and the only, the face of NHL Network, baby. That's why he always says, Kevin Weeks. Um, my, my, my favorite uh, Kevin Weeks-ism that I picked up on is, you know how like people say like blah, 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 blah? He yeah, bra 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 bra, and I I love it every time. It gets me going. And the best part of weeks he is, not only is he a great, the way he speaks, it's so it it grabs your attention. But the way he tells stories is so electric, and it just oh, yeah. gets you going. It's captivating. Like he's just a natural that's storyteller. That's exactly the word. That's, that's the exact word. Probably why he landed uh, the job he's currently at. So Maybe. it's no surprise. He's uh he's a professional and uh he made he made our job pretty easy on this one. Well, he definitely took us from like the every cent to maybe like the American in terms Ooh, of podcast wow. levels. Or or as Kevin Weeks would say back in the day, the old IHL. Maybe the old IHL, the international. Um, but Weeksy, like this interview is packed with everything goalies want to hear. We hear about his humble beginnings his family coming from Barbados and him playing street hockey and putting together pads with pillows. Crazy backstory there. You, um, yeah. We talk about his, uh, his belief on where he could take the NHL, where he sees the game going. And then from there, we talked about his drip, man. Oh yeah. Like just a little foreshadow. I mean, the guy drops four to five can a suit. <laughs> yeah. Gross. And his shoe game. And not only that, but we got into some of the serious stuff that goes on today what we're seeing in the news, uh, how the players handled uh, uh, not playing. And maybe, I don't know if we yeah. want to call it the boycott, but like just, you know, moving games back and like taking a day. We took, we kind of, what we wanted to do or what I wanted to do at least is ask the question that you see in the comments, in the Facebook comments, in the Instagram comics, comments of people saying, well, why was it this, that, or the other thing? And Kevin did a great job of addressing it. Absolutely. So who's uh, better to hear from than Kevin himself? Let's send it over, Kyle. We'll catch you guys after. In between two posts tonight, standing at six foot and one inches, now living in the beautiful New Jersey, it's Kevin Weeks. <laughs> Weeksy, how are you? I'm great, man. Thanks so much for that intro. Appreciate that. How are you guys doing? Good morning. You guys doing well? Just grinding away, man. Just getting yep. gear done, getting gowns out the door, trying to get college hockey started, getting those guys on the ice for practice. It's been good, man. Excellent. That's great to hear. All those are great things. Uh, congrats to you guys and, and, and Mike and, and the whole team, his wife and your whole team there at Vaughn doing the PPEs, which has been amazing. And, you know, you guys saw a huge need and, and a huge void. And you guys were able to create a solution for so many of, of the medical workers and the first responders here in the U.S. and back in Canada, too, during the pandemic. So that's awesome. In addition to all the great gear that you always make, too. We definitely appreciate the love here, Kevin. It's uh, I, I give a lot of props to Mike just with his ability to his fast thinking and the mm. fact that we had we have something that a lot of facilities don't. When you're talking about Michigan, you're thinking a lot of stamping plants, making car parts. You don't think necessarily industrially sewing, right? Mm -hmm. Where we have a staff that knows how to sew. We have the machinery. We have all the tooling. But 
not only that, we have an ability to get resources and we can get raw materials like the nylons and the straps. Mm-hmm. So Mike was able to, you know, source a couple things, work on a couple gowns. It's, it's a pretty simple thing to put together, but for him to put it all the pieces together for us to manufacture and then help out, it was, uh, it was very, very exciting. But uh, obviously things are very, very busy. You had an incredible playing career. Uh, now you're working with the NHL network and we'll get to see what the future holds for you. But I wanted to dive back into the background of you getting into hockey. How'd you get into goalie and how'd you start playing up in Toronto? Yeah. So my parents had, had uh, immigrated from Barbados in the Caribbean and they moved to Toronto. Actually Windsor originally my mom Windsor first and then Ontario that is not the UK, but, and then <laughs> she went back to, uh, she went back to Barbados and they got married and then they came back to Toronto. So growing up, you know, I was born in 75. I hung around my older cousin and his friends who were, he was born in 68. So that puts him seven years older than me at the time. Mm -hmm. And hanging around with those guys, you know, some, some of those guys were born in 66, 65, 70. As mentioned, I was born in 75. So hanging around those guys, watching them play street hockey in the neighborhood behind our building when we used to live in a building downtown at the time all those guys play street hockey and my cousin and his friends and I watched them and I was four, like literally four years old, five years old, like <laughs> yep. hang around them, you know, and some of these guys are 11, 12, 13, if you can imagine. So the one goalie that we had who used to play net all the time, his last name was Lambros. And, you know, we just used to call him Lambros and his parents had moved from Greece to Toronto. So he, he was always one goalie in the net, like he was a fixture. And then the other goalie, they'd kind of rotate through. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, for whatever reason, Lambros's parents and Lambros, they were moving back to Greece, from Toronto back to Greece. So at that point, I was six. And then like, hey, if you want to play, you got to go in net. So I went in net with these guys and, you know, tried to do my best playing against these guys in street hockey that were six, seven, eight years older than me, right? Yep. And pardon me, they let me go in from time to time. And there was a park, Hillcrest Park, down the street from our building. And beside the tennis courts in the main part of the park where the grass was and in between the basketball courts, they would flood it in the winter and have a rink. So there were no actual boards in that one. That one just had like snowbank, like a snowbank around the, <laughs> the rink. The classic, right? Classic, like literally. So, so uh, I would go on there in... Uh, in cougar boots, old school winter boots for people that are old enough to remember them, but old school winter cougar boots and before I had skates and I would go out there okay. and then that later, that would have been the following September. I went and signed up to play house league at St. Mike's arena, the world famous St. Mike's arena back home. I went and signed up to play house league because my cousin and a lot of his buddies were starting to play. And I went to Canadian tire with my dad and got some skates and some stuff. Cause House League used to provide a lot of the gear for the goalies, as you know. Mm-hmm. And away I went. And that was first grade. So first grade, grade one, as we say back in Canada, first grade, as we say here in the U.S. My first book that I wrote in first grade with Miss Mahar was my teacher. I drew, like I drew myself in the net as a goalie. I drew a scoreboard and I had the NHL logo on the scoreboard. And right from when I was six years old, I knew I was going to play in the NHL. That was like my life goal. Wow. And nothing was stopping that. No anything. No color. No this. No that. No whatever. Nothing was stopping that. I was going to play in the NHL. And as a six-year-old, that was 100% my concrete life goal at that point. 
you speak it into the universe and it happens, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And just that level of conviction too, you know, that level of belief and that level of purpose. So nothing, you know, it was different for me because I was never swayed as a kid into some of the things that kids can typically be swayed into. I was never into the wrong stuff. Typically I didn't hang out with the, with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was cool. I was a cool cat, whatever, everything, but it was all about playing and everything was about hockey and sports for me and specifically making the NHL. So it wasn't about hanging out late nights or, you know, being with the wrong crowd or doing the wrong things at the wrong times. I was like hyper-focused that I was going to play in the NHL. Were there, did you ever have any moments where, I don't know, you kind of second guess yourself ever? um, Cause I feel like a lot of the times a big struggle for goalies is just the mental side of things. And, uh, you know, maybe it's having a goalie partner that's outplaying you for a stretch of time or something like that, um, where your NHL dream might seem like it's a really hard. Yeah, it's another great question. I, I would say that, yeah, there's different times where you second guess yourself. That's kind of the nature of the position. And you don't get a result that you want. You don't play as well as you want. Or maybe you're struggling a little bit. You let in a bad goal. Maybe you feel a little bit embarrassed because that there's a feeling of shame, like in letting your team down and underperforming at yeah. times. But I was always like, like frothy at the mouth for it. Do you know what I mean? I always like hungry, starving, just, yeah. like, I was always willing to do more beyond the ice, power skating, goalie school, power skating, our, our coach at the time, God bless his soul, the late uh, Mr. Keith Armstrong, who coached us, my youth hockey team, my minor hockey team, but he also had his own Armstrong's power skating too. So when a lot of kids, let's say in the summer, right? Like a lot of kids want to be at the lake or they want to be at the cottage or the lake house or whatever it is. There's none of that. Like that wasn't even a thought. (laughs) It wasn't even a consideration. You know what I mean? Just wanted to be on the ice. Yeah. First of all, my parents didn't have one, but um, so yeah. So you, you obviously you have some ups and downs, but for me, that fire was always like really hot. And the heat of my internal kind of drive was able to overcome some of that. But there's times where it was tougher than others for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So also quick kind of side question here. You brought up like the power skating. And I know a lot of goalies today, um, you know, skating such a huge part of the game. When you do power skating, do you do it in all your goalie gear or at a younger age? Yeah. Yeah. When I first started, I went to – I went to a, a, a hockey school back home. It was run by a gentleman by the name of, uh, of Freddie Fess. And uh, there was a former NHL or an NHL alumni, uh, Mike Pellick, that played for the Leafs for years. And it was Mike Pellick's power skating out at Lambton Arena. And, you know, there's another goalie who was a little older than me who played in the league a little bit for Dallas. Uh, he played in Kalamazoo as a result in the old IHL too. Mike Torquio was his name. Played in Kitchener. Was an awesome goalie in Kitchener. Won the uh, lost the Memorial Cup. Sorry to Freddie Brathwaite and Oshawa and Eric Lindros's crew in 1990 at Cops Coliseum in Hamilton. But uh, Torch was an awesome goalie, real big, heavy body, but light on his feet. Great glove hand. And his dad, even though his parents came from Italy, we grew up in the same area as them for a while. And his dad told my dad because I played with his brother Romy. And his dad, Mr. Torcha, told my dad, he's like, hey, you know, Kev's got to go to power skating. We didn't know anything about it. But yeah. because his son was a little older than me and he was a goalie, he's like, yeah, he's got to go to power skating. It'll help him. So I went to power skating at uh, Mike Pellick's hockey school, ran by Freddie Fess. 
But when I first started going, this was, this was a trip. You guys would love this. I'd be out there in goalie skates, player shin pads, player socks, goalie pants, glove blocker, and uh, glove blocker and goalie shoulder pads and a helmet and the jersey. And they really? told me, they said, take the pads off. You want to learn how to skate properly? Take the pads off. You got to learn how to control your edges. You got to learn your crossovers, all your transitions, how to stop properly, weight distribution, all the rest of it. And literally in two summers, I was skating better in goalie skates than most players were. And really? then, from there, then from there, I would I started doing all the power skating stuff because I, I ended up making that team as an underage. And from that point on, then I would do it all in my full goalie gear. But I was able to do all the stuff, all the crossovers, all the stops and starts, everything in full goalie gear. And to this day, I always say that was the biggest asset for me was, was learning that at a young age. And it really helped me. Without that, I never would have played as athletic and flexible or explosive as I was. That was really the foundation of my game. 100%. And that's a timeless skill to this day, regardless of whether you were playing back then, like through the 80s and 90s, or you're playing today. Skating is such a huge factor in edge control. That's the word, you know, the hot buzzword everyone wants to use now. But you brought up something interesting because Adam Burkle, who works in our office with us mm-hmm. on the pro side, he had played in the NHL, had games in Atlanta and everything. But he said when he was growing up, it was never like today's day and age. Everyone has a personal goalie coach. They're doing privates two or three times on top of all the team practices, tournaments, blah, blah, blah. They have a private guy they're working with all the time. Back then, he made it sound like that wasn't a thing. You were training on your own. So what was your situation like? I mean, it's different in Toronto. You're in a hotbed of hockey. Were you with a goalie coach a lot or were you just doing goalie schools in the summer and then you were on your own basically throughout the whole season? Yeah, great question. So, so basically, um, our, our coach that I mentioned, the late Mr. Armstrong, he had his power skating school and a lot of our practices were structured around skating. And then, you know, the players would do their drills and puck handling and stuff. And, and then yeah. I get shots and do shooting drills. And then the odd time, you know, his, his one of his sons would, would do some shots and some goalie stuff, you know, okay. back in the day, old school skate saves and, and that sort of thing. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was kind of what a practice looked, what a structured team practice looked like. Mm-hmm. But then going to his power skating, by doing that, I was then getting the skating in and then they had the shooting, same thing. They had the shooting drills. Okay. Our skating. So at least I was getting to see more pucks. Yep. And yep. then goalie schools started to become a thing. And then, you know, I'd go to Jim Park back in the day, some different ones around mm-hmm. uh, that were Steve Nish, you, you wouldn't know the name, but some different ones, some people that were ahead of their time. Okay. And I go to those the odd time in the summer. And really for me, it was just about getting on the ice as much as possible with our team and vis-a-vis that power skating and then sometimes a goalie school but here's another thing you guys don't know man like we we used to get so excited because being at our rink back home Chesswood Arena it's iconic in Toronto where my youth hockey former youth hockey team plays still to this day it had four rinks at the time still does I think it might be five now that's a lot for back then too eh right so that's a lot for you know early 80s 80s into early 90s until I left to go play junior Mm -hmm. and what was wild about that, though, is it was such a hotbed and the rink was always buzzing. So, but the odd time there'd be free ice. Oh. And we'd go wild for free ice. We'd be like, free ice, free <laughs> ice, let's go, let's go. 
So if we were still <laughs> at the rink, if we were still at the rink, the odd time we put our skates on and get out there, or if we were, if our rinks, if our bags, excuse me, and our gear was already in the trunks of our parents' car and they were at the bar and we were still watching games or whatever, we'd go out there in our dress shoes or sneakers if it was a practice day or whatever. Yeah. And we try to get on there. But then as we got older and I play with guys that are older than me and guys started driving, what would happen is we would go to shinny like open skate. Mm-hmm. So we would go to shinny and Hey man, they have shinny here, five bucks or $3 a guy. Let's go. Or at our same rink, they used to have shinny. We'd go. So I was literally like from one end of Toronto to the other, trying to get on the ice as much as possible, as often as possible. And that's why you hear me say on Instagram a lot. That's why I always say the rig rats get the cheese. Absolutely. So that really became, you know, I lived and live to this day that. And that's really been a big part of, of why I'm here talking to you today. 100% fully embraced it. You dive head first. And like you said, starving to get better and play hockey. Um, but you did mention something. I was going to ask this later. You had an outdoor rink back home. I've seen where you do, you go to the Rangers outdoor rink when they do their practice. I've seen a lot of teams are doing that, like Toronto. They'll take the subway. They do something cool with the fans. They get uh, involved with the city. But Kevin, if you could drop an outdoor rink in any city, state, anywhere, where do you think it would be and where do you think it could lead to influence for guys or kids being able to play the game more? Oh, wow. That's a great question, too. Okay, so it's hard to say because New York, you obviously have the two rinks here in Central Park, and there are a couple other ones. Mm-hmm. And one of them that, you know, the Rangers use, Lasker Ice Arena and stuff. And then uh, the other Trump rink, which is bordered the Trump rink. But in, they're both at opposite ends of Central Park. One's in the central kind of midtown, and then the other one's up in Harlem at 120th mm-hmm. at the end of the park. That's where Lasker is. I would say... Right now, because of weather challenges, I'd like to be able to do something in the non-traditional states because I think that they could use it, especially in Cali and and in Florida Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons and also based on population and in Texas too, Mm -hmm. in terms of outdoor rinks and, but also the growth of the game in those, in those three states, Vegas being one of them too, but weather wouldn't be as cooperative. Yeah. All that to say though, I would say Chicago. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'd say Chicago. I'd say if you could have one just off of Michigan Ave somewhere downtown, yep. and even if it had two rinks, then I, it, it's just the weather would cooperate. You got the lake effect with the wind coming in off the lake. It'd be cold enough. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the rink would keep from presumably November, mid-November until early April mm-hmm. based on the weather, which would cooperate. And they have such a huge population in Chicago. But I don't feel like there's enough NHLers that play in the league that are from Chicago land. There's a there's a number, but I think that number can and should be higher. And mm-hmm. obviously, with them being an original six and and having Chicago Young Americans and the different programs they have there with the youth hockey, and then Chicago Steel, everybody knows them in the USHL. Yep, a really good program. So I think Chicago would be a great place for one. Right Absolutely, now. I think. And when we bring this up for the listeners, it's not just the rink because they have a little skating rink that's at a park out there. I think it's Millennium right. Park. But we're talking like full-on hockey rinks because there is, like Kevin, I'm sure when you think about it, you can just picture it. But playing on a pond or playing outside in the middle of winter when it's you know, like it's 10 degrees above zero Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. there's just nothing better. The freedom of being outside, the snow kind of slowly coming down, you're shoveling, you're with your friends, everyone's out there buzzing around. It's the best hockey that you can ever play. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I remember 
I'll tell you a quick story. So we go to, I'm in Bantam. I'm in Bantam. And we go to Monarch Park back home in Toronto because we have all these outdoor rigs there. Mm-hmm. So we're, it's, it's spring break, right? It's March break as we call it there. Spring break, you stay here. And our captain, Jamie Edwards, is like, guys, he went to high school at Monarch Park. He's like, yeah, you know, got the outdoor rink here, blah, blah, blah. Let's, let's, let's hook up there. Let's hook up, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so we end up, had, we end up, we had over there and I got my goalie gear, which I don't want to bring out because I'm going there to play as a player, right? <laughs> so if you can imagine this, like I'm a top prospect getting ready for the O. I'm on the radar, top radar for NHL draft, perhaps in two, three years. And I'm the guy, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm the guy, one of the guys of the guy. And we get out there and they have my goalie and these guys know that I've got my pads and I have my goalie sticks and stuff. So like we see, we've got no goalie, man. Like, honestly, come on, you got to go in net. And I'm like, come on, man, really? So anyways, reluctantly, I put on my gear. I'm supposed to be the guy, you know what I mean? Like the cat's whiskers. So I get in the net, start mixing in a few stretch, start mixing in a few. We start playing. I'm mixing a few saves, blah, 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 whatever glove save. And this guy comes down, forehand, backhand, goal, backhand, forehand, goal, forehand, backhand, shelf, back. And I'm getting housed by this guy, like housed. Like this guy's lighting me up, man. And, you know, I don't want to break my stick and look like a loser, but I'm I, like, I'm getting embarrassed now. You're you frustrated. Asked, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm super frustrated. Kyle, you asked me about this earlier. So then people are like, whoa. Like every time this guy comes in. So finally we're done. And I, for, to be real, my, I took a bit of a dent that day. And I asked Jamie, our captain, Jamie Edwards, I'm like, yo, who's your boy? Like, who is this guy? He's like, that's my guy, Glennie Metro, man. I'm like, Glennie Metro? He's like, yeah, that's my boy, Glenn Metropolit. I'm like, really? Who is he? Because he doesn't play, he doesn't play AAA. He's not in our loop. Like, yeah. who's he playing? Like, who's He's he an outsider. Playing? He's playing AA. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, man, he lives in Regent Park down in the hood. Um, but a really cool guy, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, all of a sudden, I heard that he was playing. I think he went and played in BCJ in like Penticton or something. Next thing you know, he's playing in the coast in Pensacola. Next thing you know, we're playing at Van Andel Arena in your home state of, of, of pure Michigan against Grand Rapids in the old IHL. Yeah. And we're at center ice and I'm stretching and <laughs> – who comes up beside me on the other side of the red line? Glenny Metropolit. <laughs> and he's like, what's up, Winksy? What's up, bud? And I couldn't believe it. Like, my mind was blown. Because remember, he wasn't on the radar at all. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to talk about a story with a late bloomer, and if you want to, you know, have some additional inspiration for a lot of the listeners here that are tuning in. I mean, so now I'm playing against him there. So I'm like, Jesus, Murphy. This is the guy that that housed me that day at Monarch Park. You start getting nervous. <laughs> no, 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 no. But nonetheless, I, I'm telling you, he was out there and he was nice. Like he was playing at an IHL level. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, holy smoke. So next thing you know, further down the line, I'm playing the Washington Capitals at Verizon Arena in, in DC at Sunrise stretching pregame. Who comes up on the opposite <laughs> side of the red line? Glenny Metropolit. Wixie, what's up, bud? 
like, are you kidding me right now? Like, you're in the show? <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to be here, but you're here? But in full, in full fairness and full love to him, you know, he was able to overcome so much adversity. And he had an older brother. His older brother was incarcerated at the time. And, um, you know, single parent household. And he really pushed really hard. And it just goes to show you that there's different tracks to get where you want to go if you're really willing to to sacrifice and be hungry and put in the work and you can be, you know, the, you can be the person that everybody sees as being on that track as, as yeah. it was in my case, or you can be a late bloomer who everybody doesn't see who's on the track, but who ultimately when you put in the work, we'll see once you get there. And that's a testament to, uh, to both of us, but specifically more to him, to Glenn Metropolis. That's the takeaway there. It's an, it's an incredible story. I love to tell it. But yeah. hopefully that can serve as a lot of motivation for a lot of the listeners out there. That's unreal. He skated up to the red, red line. He's like, hey, Weeks, you round three. Let's go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Center red. Center red. From Monarch Park, man, as you talked about, the outdoor rink, which led me to that, to, uh, to then playing in the eye, playing at Van Andel, which is a sweet rink, as you guys know, yep. to then playing in the show. I mean, that's, it's incredible, man. It's wild. Just goes to show you, huh, what can happen, the power. As I say, the power of infinite possibilities. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Now, Weeksy, mm. I'm sure you're a man of ideas. You're a man of genius and you have vision. But I wanted to drop this on you. If you were the commissioner for the NHL for a day, what would you do to help grow the game? For a day, I would have at a designated start time in every NHL city and every city where there's an arena around the world from year, there in Michigan to uh, Illinois, to Minnie, to Ontario, all the way out to out west of BC and Canada, Seattle, Washington, and across the pond. And around the world, I would have a collective start time. Clearly, it would be relative to local time for the yep. start. And I would call it the world's greatest game. And I would have every NHL team playing that day at that time adjusted for their local time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pacific Coast, whether you're here in the East Coast, Central, whatever. And I would adjust it that every single game is played at that time. Every single AHL team, East Coast League, as many minor hockey, junior, NCAA, uh, and then same thing for all the, the major pro leagues in Europe, National League in Swiss, Swedish Elite League, DEL in Germany, KHL in Russia. Mm-hmm. And I would call it the greatest game. Okay. And yeah, I, I would and do the same thing for youth hockey. And the reason why I would do that is if you can have, you know, based on availability of rinks, but if you can have that, that's a, that's a really interconnected sense of solidarity of people playing the game around the world, regardless of their age, regardless of their background, regardless of their gender, their sexual orientation, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of where they're located, all coming together at the same time to do one thing, which is play the sport that we love. And I think that that connection, whether you're in Paris, whether you're in, in, in Switzerland, in Zurich, whether you're in, uh, in Russia, whether you're in Ohio, I just think that that connected thread of everybody playing the game at in and around you know the same time 
again, relative to the time zone, at one time around the world, that's a sign of solidarity and it's a sign of co a connection for yeah. our sport. I think it'd be really cool. For sure. Would you guys start a puck drop so it would work like six o'clock in or Eastern time zone? Everybody would play NHL, NCAA, and everything like that. That'd yeah. be awesome. Yep. Or even adjusted. Maybe it's three Eastern, you know, three Eastern, which is noon uh, Pacific, you know, then you start going mountain time, but then you're, you're thinking of across the pond based on that time zone in Russia, Sweden, you know what I mean? 100%. Uh, yeah. It'd be really cool. It'd be I, really, really cool. When you bring up the idea of universal languages like math, music, sport, hockey is that, that connection that you said it, drives down walls regardless of what you speak where you live where you're from we all take part and enjoy a beautiful game mm -hmm. and we all understand it and regardless of language barrier anything like that we can all enjoy this together at the same time i think that that'd be an unreal idea thank you the, the publicity you. on that would be just huge because it would just be so cool to see everything going on at one time and like you said playing the game together in solidarity yeah no for sure thank you my other one that i've always you know i've been whispering in the nhl's here the league office uh, I'm not sure where this goes, and obviously COVID's a challenge, but we have the outdoor games here, which are incredible. Every single one of them is money. I don't care what anybody says. If you don't know, you haven't been. If you've been you, and you don't know, then you still don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> every outdoor game is like, I mean, last year at Winter Classic in, in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl, like 87,000 people. It That's was incredible. And yeah. I, I can't even. Game? It was wild. Like, all of them uniquely wild in their own way. All of them uniquely great at different iconic stadiums. But one thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see a NHL European Stadium Series. And I'm talking about playing at the home of Bayern Munich over in Germany. Yeah. I'm absolutely. talking about playing at maybe at the home of Manchester City, Etihad, or oh, yeah. at Old Trafford. And, you know, some of the most iconic venues – and the most iconic soccer venues. And we've already done the baseball fusion. We do the football fusion. We've done the college sports fusion. And we've also done the military fusion. Mm -hmm. And I think if you were to do that with a Paris Saint-Germain or uh, a Bayern Munich or one of those huge clubs over in Europe, and then it's something where you can have all of our European fans, of course, attend. And then, of course, with the demand once travel resumes, hopefully that's sooner rather than later because this is ridiculous. But Absolutely. hopefully at that point, then you can have your North American fans that, that want to travel too and just create a whole new experience on a whole new frontier for us. We've had the games there and some games in Europe, of course, but having an outdoor game at one of those iconic soccer oh, yeah. stadiums would be money. That'd be or even like, uh, you know, in like EA Sports where uh, there's the game mode where the rink's like in the city kind right. of thing. Totally. Yeah, put it down like a, a main street, put some rinks, uh, boards <laughs> up. That'd be unreal. Bro, if you could have that in Times Square. Oh, yeah. All things being equal right now, if you can, you know, reconfigure parts of Times Square, which they do so much to be able to, you know, to accommodate the New Year's Eve, Rock and New Year's Eve stuff, right? Yeah. All the time. But if you can do that and, and configure that around an NHL game, that'll be the spectacle of all spectacles. Oh, yeah. You know, I think of those places. I know in the Red Square they have – they. The KHL's had those games in Moscow. And, you know, I could think about being around and walking around the uh, Eiffel Tower in Paris because there's so much space around there, too. Yeah. And I know that Jordan, uh, Michael Jordan with his Jordan brand, 
they have that Kwai or Key 54, which is that outdoor basketball tournament across Paris. Yeah. And I think they have the finals in and around there. But imagine if you could construct a rink around there, in and around the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, unreal. And every time somebody scores, like Eiffel Tower lights up the way it does. <laughs> Sick. You know? You want to talk yeah. about groundbreaking ideas and something that's actually pushing the envelope and pushing the barrier and creating static and news? That would be electric. That'd be electric, man. And people don't recognize too. Like we have, I think we have four four players from France right now in the league right now. Um, yeah. Belmar, Roussel, and 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 others. Remember, Cristobal Huey was an yeah. awesome bully. And the older he got, the better he got too. He was an all star two or three times at Montreal. Mm-hmm. He's from there too. So and Texier from Columbus, number forty two. That young twenty year old. Yeah, yeah. Columbus. He's a really good player. I think he has a chance to be a good player. He's another French born player. And there's more coming. So. I don't know if you guys have seen, but on Insta, there's this Insta account called Our Goalie Zone, and they're out of France too. Okay. And they do a lot of uh, you know off ice goalie training and on ice um, goalie stuff. They're like a goalie development thing. So I've you know I've gone back and forth with them a few times on social, but I think it'd be really really cool to uh, to continue showcasing our game not only here in North America but showcase it internationally on those stages because you guys know that on a global perspective, soccer and the NBA root. You know, they oh, rule yeah. supreme, right? And soccer specifically slash football. So if we can uh, if we can do that, I think that'd be money. I think it'd be yeah. awesome. And I think a big part is, you know, obviously the cost of hockey to play is so expensive, whereas if you have a basketball on a hoop or a soccer ball, you can go out and practice where um, even in some of the non-traditional places, yeah, let's get some roller rinks up or some street hockey uh, cool. going. I mean, that's going to eventually transition into more guys getting into ice hockey. So um, I think any way that, yeah. Uh, listen, before, before I had my, before I had my Vaughn, before I had my first Vaughn glove, um, which I, Hey, give, give us a model number on that one week. See, let's put a date to it. But let me, I'm going to jam you guys up. You guys aren't even ready for what I'm about to hit you with. <laughs> when I first started playing street hockey guys, and I told you my, my older cousin and, I didn't even have, like, our gear for street hockey, if and when we had gear, and we used to live in the building. So, you know, the old big garbage bins that you have behind apartment buildings and stuff in apartment complexes, you know, people throw out mattresses and different stuff. Yep. And, and people throw out old couches, sofas, and Chesterfields, for those of you that are really old. <laughs> and we would go and take the cushions out. <laughs> they had sponge in the cushions. Yeah, and we'd take the sponge out, and we would cut pads and make pads or, or pad pads, like our leg pads, out of sponge. And then we would draw like the vertical lines <laughs> and then the horizontal knee rolls with the magic marker, man. Yeah, and, and we would put holes through the pad on the shin. We put holes through there for for to make straps, and our straps were like shoelaces or skate laces. Yeah, and my first glove was i can't remember if it was mayflower or imperial margarine imperial margarine but like i had a margarine container that was empty that i rocked (laughs) okay and then because i didn't even own a baseball glove at that time yeah and then you know different guys he has a baseball glove okay you rotate the baseball glove around blah blah blah. but that was that led me then to canadian tire my old cooper gm6 or whatever it was which looked like a johnny bauer glove or turk broad or glenn hall type glove that's how far back I'm going with the look of the glove. I have it at my parents' house still back home in Toronto. My first Vaughn glove 
that I had was a T750. T750. That's incredible. And I won a pair of T750s glove and blocker in the tan with a brown nylon. And I won those at the North Bay tournament. I was goalie of the tournament. And I still have those. I never rocked them. I never even wore that pair, that that set. I never even wore them. I'll show them to you the next time at home. I'll text you the next time I get to see my parents and these silly borders open up. And, uh, and, that's how far back I go. T750. That's incredible. T750. So That's I the classic. Totally, Mike yeah. might have made it for you. He could have put that together and <laughs> shipped it out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I remember, like, you know, the, the first iteration was that kind of brown, like tan leather and then uh, and the brown nylon, right? Yeah. And honestly, if there's an Everett, I'm going to stay on you for this and I'm going to stay on Husey and Woodsy. I want to set, but I'm going to. Remember, I've been telling you about the retro. I told you guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, guys, honestly, I rocked everything from that to that to that to whatever. If you guys come out with a proper retro flavor, a proper legacy flavor, it's over. Like, it's done. It's, it's a wrap. And not just because it's nostalgic for guys like me and girls like me who grew up in that era. Mm-hmm. But the look, and if you can incorporate that with the tech and some of the specs of the amazing innovations you have now, it's done. It's over, man. So anyway, all of that to say, I remember just a different stop. You guys had a 1952, which was sweet, a T1950. Go back and check it. We're going to talk about this offline because I'm onto something here, and I know I am. But listen to me. When I got to junior, and Mike knows this, I had to fight to wear Vaughn because at the time – the OHL had to deal with Cooper. Yeah, back in back way back when hey, it was only 90s, Cooper. Early nineties, early nineties, not even mid. This is like 92, 93, my rookie year, and then 93, 94. And my last year was 94, 95 before turning pro. But listen, I had to like Storzy and I, Jamie Store was a Brian's guy, and I was the Vaughn guy. And we were, you know, teammates. And we both ended up playing the NHL a long time. We're boys to this mm-hmm. day as goalie partners, which is wild. But all that to say, we had to go to our GM, Rob Holiday, whose dad owned Owen Sound at the time. Rob, can we wear our gear? Can we wear our gear? Guys, come on. You guys are killing me right now. Come on. Stores is pushing Brian's. I'm pushing Vaughn. Come on. We're top prospects. These are tools of our trade. Guys, just when the Cooper guy comes, just talk to him. Just let him make you some stuff. Try it. I was like battling to rock Vaughn, bro. You guys have no idea. Going to war for us. Go, yo, and I'm 16, 17 years old doing this as a as a prof, top prospect for the draft. Yep. And, you know, you, 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 you run that line of people saying, oh, who does this guy think he is? He's cocky. He's like, but it's no, it's the tools of my trade. And I believed yep. in the brand, right? So anyways, what was cool is then you guys start getting the, all the custom stuff and my colors and my name and my number and it's sweet and no, 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 I want the cuff like this. No, no, no. I, I want skate lace in my pocket. Man, I was a, I was this next guy after Ron Hextall to do that because I stole that from Hexy. That was Hexy's jam. Yeah. So then it was this, then it was that. But my last year, you're going to like this. So my last year, I get traded to uh, – I, I, I hold up from one sound because Stories and I are there. I'm drafted to Florida Panthers in 93. The following year, he's seventh overall to LA Kings. We both need to play. Yep. So we can't be on the same team anymore. You know what I mean? So he's up in LA. 
I'm holding out for a trade back home in Toronto. I'm skating with St. Mike's uh, tier two, my old team, St. Mike's Buzzers. And I'm at St. Mike's Arena skating with the Buzzers. And I get a, the trainer comes out. I was like, Weeksy, the phone's for you. So I'm like, what? He's like, Weeksy, the phone's for you. Literally. So I take off my mask. I go down the tunnel, down the Zamboni entrance to St. Mike's, into the Buzzers locker room, into the trainer's room. And it's the legendary Brian Kilray on the phone, who's the winningest coach in Canadian junior history, in the CHL history. Ottawa, Ottawa 67s. So, Kevin, Brian Kilroy here, <laughs> the Ottawa 67s. We've just traded for you. And congratulations. I know you, you haven't been playing, but we want you to meet the team. Any questions? Hey, Mr. Kilroy, thank you so much for trading for me. I got a couple questions. Number one, can I wear my double zero, my number? <laughs> I don't care. What you wear, as long as you can stop the effing puck. I'm like, wow, okay, Mr. Kilroy, that's cool. That's awesome. Mr. Kilroy, I have one more question. Can I wear my Von Goli equipment? I don't care what you wear, as long as you can stop the effing puck. I'm like, all right, Mr. Kilroy, that's awesome. Uh, where do I meet the team? We're going to be in Belleville tomorrow. We're playing the Belleville Bulls. Have your parents bring, bring you up. And we'll take you back to Ottawa on the bus from there. I'm like, awesome. So that's the kind of stuff. That's how far back it goes for me um, with the brand and, and how much I believed in it and how much I rock with it. Yeah. So we appreciate the love. Not, not to date that story, but I'm guessing that's way before cell phone. So you had to run back into the trainer's room and is it like yeah, a, like a dial up on the wall? Bro, that was totally. That was an old <laughs> black rotary. That was 94. That was 1994. Yeah, 94 when I got traded there. Um, and, and what was cool about that too, is when I finally got my gear, cause I had some neutral colored gear it was actually blue and white. And then, uh, I get to Ottawa and I start rocking and I start kicking and you guys made me up a set of red, white, and black visions and they were sweet. And the glove, what was cool about this though, and you guys would appreciate this is the one feature I want back. And I want it attributed to me is on the back of the week's spec. A weeksy spec. Don't don't mess around. On the back of the glove, you know that little round tab that you guys had. There's a little oval like yeah. round, and it said Vaughn on it with yep. embroidery. Mm -hmm. I had so I had like whatever it would have been the T1950 or something at that time. But I I was adamant. I'm like guys. I told the guys in London at the plant. I'm like guys, you got to put that on. I want that on the back of it. So it was really really sweet, man. That was uh that was one of my favorite gloves. It was sick. But if you guys can incorporate more of that stuff going forward, yeah, once everything gets back to normal and, and the world resets itself and, and people get back in the workforce and doing what they do, mm -hmm. you know, when they say, go ahead and take my money, yeah, yeah, you guys will have a lot of orders incoming for sure. Hell yeah, the old school is the new school. It um, totally is, man. With the new, with the old spec with the new tech. Absolutely. Now, you know? Weeksy, you gave me the perfect segue because obviously if you haven't, you know, for the listeners, if you haven't looked it up, you got to go Google like Kevin put together some of the most incredible sets. And one oh, of my yeah. favorites, just based on what we've been doing within the last two years was your V2, but it yep. wasn't the way the V2, everyone was doing it with the outline. The outline was so clean and so gross in New Jersey. That was like the perfect kit, but yeah, thank you. You guys, I mean, you guys are always really creative. And you, you started to create a space. I mean, a lot of people know that Mike's a traditionalist, but Mike's a huge innovator too. Mm -hmm. And Mike Vaughn and 
you, know, you, you can lean on him sometimes and sometimes he'll be pretty steadfast with what he believes in. But at the end of the day, he's been on the cutting edge of so much, so many unique things in our space, in the gear space. And it's an expression of creativity. And for me, I always wanted to gear for me was always about fit form and function more importantly. Yeah. And, but after we got those right, and then that provided a canvas for creativity, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to be creative. So I like to, I, I believe in look good, feel good, play good. So I love that creative kind of expression of, of gear and just that canvas, what you're able to do with it, be it different fabrications, mm-hmm. be it uh, different textures, different colorways, different designs and the graphics and stuff. So that was really cool, man. I, I love that. And I had a lot of fun with that. I remember the same sets that you're talking about and, and some other sets. Here's what's wild too, guys. Is I was the first goalie to wear the velocity pad. Really? I was the first goalie in the world to wear the velocity pad. And that was the original velocity. And I remember I was Which a Which was a game changer for us. It was a game changer for the world and for the position in the sport. Mm-hmm. And you know, that had there because if you I don't know if you guys remember Pete Smith, who does Smith stuff now. Yep. But Pete Smith was part of that co-innovation with Mike. And, you know, Smith had his box pad that Barrasso wore in Pittsburgh, Tommy yep. Barrasso. Those and white ones. The white ones, right? Yeah. And then uh, Barrasso actually rocked some black ones, too, at a point. And, but then also Heaton had the Heaton box light or whatever they were called. They had a pad that was kind of boxed, boxish, too. Greg Steffen wore them in Detroit with the wings for a bit. And, but then from there, once the velocity came, man, those things were gorgeous. They were square, but they were so different. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't tell you going from a legacy or a vision pad to a velocity. Like, when I talk about squares, like, it, they were literally squared up. So that was a very different thing. But bless you. But they felt uh, they were awesome. They changed the game. They changed the way we played. They changed the way we strapped them, the, the way they rotated on our legs, mm-hmm. butterfly, recoveries, everything. That pad is is the mother of innovation of modern day goaltending for me. 100%. Okay. Now, pretty, go ahead, go. Oh, I was just going to say it's a pretty big compliment to the, the pad. It was sweet. It was sweet. It was sweet. A lot of love and not that to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, and not to say anything because there's other people that were great in the space. Uh, the late Brian Heaton was awesome too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had some amazing stuff. And Coho was on a great track at that time doing some amazing stuff with all the Quebecers and, and you know, Quebec being the goalie factory of the world in terms of producing goalies yep. and all the goalie coaches and stuff. But the velocity, its construction, the way it performed on the ice, the fabrication of it, it, it was just at a different level. 100%. Mm-hmm. But this, this teased me up for my next one, and it's a two-parter here. Sure. Well, there's a lot of parts. And I want to break it down. I want to start with shoes. You're a huge shoe guy, Weeksy. Yep. You understand style. You know it looks cool. Do you like, do you prefer the old school stuff, like original Jordans compared to what's coming out today? Or do you get in on the new innovative stuff like Yeezys and everything like that? For me, I think I'll always start with Jordan because MJ's my man and that's my guy and that's who... You know, I've always emulated and, and looked up to and still do to this day. Mm-hmm. And the substance behind the brand is sweat equity, greatness, work ethic, commitment, hunger, and repeat. For sure. So there's no, like, it's not a quote, I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to be salty to anybody or throw any shade, but 
You know, it's not an influencer with a big pilgrim hat and ripped jeans and a coffee. <laughs> okay. And a desert boot. Like it's yeah. it's founded on greatness. And that's really what it's built upon. But then the style and the innovation and you know, um the design elements are all born from greatness. So okay. I, I roll with all the original Jordans, all of them, and MJ in general, period. I was fortunate enough to be around him and you know attend some of his charity events and some of his stuff and never seen anything like it before in my life with, with yeah. a person that just has that much magnetism and it's wild. It's incredible to, to see. It's a li- real life superhero. But to say that, I love all the original Jordans, the threes, the fours, the, the ones, everything. I mean, I can go up and down the product range, but I do like a lot of the innovations too. And uh, you know, I'm open to anything and all things that are good and great. So yeah. some of the innovations that they have now, I think are, are sweet. They've taken the brand to, they've done a great job. This is what we were saying with mm-hmm. the old school, new school. Mm-hmm. So there's space for the old school. They've innovated around the old school with some new tech. And they also had some new colors and, and fabrications and stuff. But some of the new school stuff, like the 720s and some of those are pretty sweet too. And Yeezys aren't my jam, but I do love the original Yeezys from Nike. Those ones were the best one that 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 Kanye's had, in my estimation, from my um, palette or my taste. But no, no question that he's been super successful as well. He too is a billionaire, along with MJ, and and Kanye's done amazing things in the space. But I I prefer his Nike Kanye Yeezys, those original ones, the high tops. Yep, yep. To the current product range right now. I just thought that those had more swag and more flavor. A lot of flavor there, that's for sure. Those were nice, man. Those are so Absolutely. sick. Absolutely. Um, yep. Now, there's been some renditions of your pad, well, for you, based on the Panther, and I just wanted to go back. Which one was your favorite? I would say my favorite was the ones that I rocked in uh, in Carolina. Okay. Yeah, the Carolina ones from the 2 year, we went to the cup final, and then the two years after that, the white base with red and black and the kind of gold greenish Panther eye. And then when I rocked the all black set that had the gold greenish panther eye with a little red and a little white accent, those were, those are my favorite. And then to date, I guess now to bring it current, the ones that, uh, that you guys made for me last year. Yep. Oh yeah. Those are, I mean, those are money. Hey, you don't have to stop at one set. Hey, Everett, like don't, don't, don't be bro. <laughs> are you still, are going. you still skating? Like, like uh... don't, don't let your stomach get full. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> seriously. We give you, you give me one little nacho and all of a sudden your stomach's full. Like, come on, we got to keep pushing this thing. But no, I don't skate, but I, I, I'll tell you where I did rock them. Okay. I, I rocked them this year during All-Star Weekend in St. Louis when we did our on-ice demos. Yeah. I rocked them there. You got to take and, them for a little test drive. Oh, totally. So we were doing an on-ice demo. So I had those on and, you know, they're, they're money. And then uh, I had them on before last, not this Christmas, the Christmas prior at uh on fox i had them on on fox and friends in the morning yeah yep. and we're outside on fox boulevard and the, they had a little auxiliary rink and i had them on out there and you know obviously the whole world saw them it's the number one business show in the morning yeah and the whole world saw them and i i'm telling you man my i i never had so many dms and, and messages from people you know for not playing like if it's something on the air that's funny i'll get a lot of them if it's something like even in general, I get a lot of them, especially with everything going on now in the world. Um, yeah. I get a lot of them, but that day my phone lit up like a switchboard man on a telethon. It was crazy. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. So those are the last two times that I've actually rocked them, rocked them. But we'll see where things go. Uh, Evan, the boys were, were over here before and, and they know. So it, we'll see where things go. But I, I definitely want to get another set. And, and, and it's just the creative expression is really cool. But I also, for a lot of the young girls and boys, and especially for the weekend warriors that are out there, you know, we, for the longest time, I feel like goalies and, and hockey in general, but goalies have been kind of left in the dark. You know what I mean? Yep. On that. It's just like standard issue, black, white, uh, pad, uh, neutral pad, that type thing. And I just, where, where it's gone to and where you guys have helped take it to along with Brian's and, and got to give credit to other people. Bauer's doing some really nice stuff too now because, mm -hmm. you know, we want everybody to do well in the space. But where it's gone to now, it's like you see a lot of these sets now and you're like, yo, those are money. Yeah. Those are so money. So I think there's more opportunity for more customization because, as you mentioned, a lot of people now on whether it be Nike, Nike ID, for example, you can customize your sneaks. You know yeah. what I mean? And customization is 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 the thing right now. Yeah. So being able to do that with your gear and your mask and stuff is is amazing. Man. It's really cool. Everybody wants to live their identity and be unique, and you don't want to yeah. be another one off of something else. You know, you don't want to be one of a thousand. You want to be one of one, right? And I think I I think that came a little late to hockey because like obviously in basketball that you know each guy they have their line of sneakers, and I mean I'm hoping to see it. We've seen a little bit of some teases where like. Pasternak had his custom stick and uh, specialty right. items, but I'd love to see like uh, I know Austin Matthews was kind of talking about maybe getting uh, their skates like oh, their own kind of touch on it or line of skates through Bauer. Or, you know, mm -hmm. I'd love to see players start to embrace uh, their individuality. In the game. Absolutely, and here's the point, right? You know what's wild about that that you say that. Is nobody's hearts burn more than players with envy when they see new goalie gear come in? Oh, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. let me tell you, man, there's some guys that would be like, we see, that's so cool, man. Holy, those are wicked. I love those. Or, But some of them, you could, like, feel the envy, the burn. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you could feel the envy. Like, oh, new gear again? <sighs> oh, must be nice. I'm like, yo, hey, anytime you want to get a slap shot taken off your collarbone and you yeah. want to get net, I could give you the gear if you want. It's not that person. <laughs> right up, baby. Get in the yeah, batter's exactly. box. Take a swing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, I'm six one and a half, six two, two fifteen at the time, two ten. You're six three, two twenty. You're a stay-at-home D man. Put the gear on. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Don't want to off your collar. Yeah, we'll see how that feels. Yeah, you're so love yeah, that. exactly, exactly. But no, honestly, like there's always been a lot of envy in around that. So. Hey, don't hate. Go ahead and get your own. So to, to that yeah. point, and I know I've, I've spoken to Austin Matthews about this. We, we had a conversation about this, but um, for him, he's down with the drip. He's down with 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 the fashions and the looks, and and he's all about it. And there's other p players and people that are too. So uh, I think it'd be awesome to see that in the space with more yeah. players getting some more individuality around that. One hundred percent. Now talking about style. Weeksy, I know you're a man of suits. You know a good suit when you see one. You're always looking good on the network. Thank you. What, uh, which one's your favorite suit? And can we get an idea how much one of those runs? I, my favorite one that I have right now in my rotation is probably this turquoise. It's kind of like a, it's kind of a turquoise right now. Ooh, okay. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah. And that one, I mean, retail, that one's probably about four or 5,000, I think for that one. But That's I'm, that drip, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but I've also, to be fair, but but that one, it's it's a two-button peak lapel. Uh, the buttons are tonal in that same kind of, uh, in that same kind of turquoise. So the buttons are kind of tonal to that color. Yeah. And, but that one, it fits like a glove in my lining. The lining in that one, pardon me, has original six. So it's got, it's like an original six hockey lining. No way. Okay. So you see Gordie Howe and, you know, Frank Mahovlich of the Leafs and all these different icons and, and different Rangers. And it's pretty cool, man. That one's really yeah. sweet. But, but for the last, thank you, for the last four years, though, I've been a part of Saks Fifth Avenue's Team Saks and mm -hmm. Saks Men's Team Saks. So I've been on Team Saks for the last five years um, in, association with, in association, excuse me, with Jack Victor and Team Saks and, and Saks Private Label. So I've rocked them the last five years. We've had a, a really good, uh, a great run. Yeah. Unfortunately, COVID has disrupted everything, as you know, or a lot of things, I should say. Mm -hmm. Fashion being one of them. And, you know, our, our great leader, our two leaders that we had at Saxon, Tom Ott and Bill Wynn, are no longer at Saxon anymore. So we may be going in, uh, in perhaps a different direction around that. But I've gotten all my stuff custom, bespoke, made a measure from them the last yeah. four, five years. So when you were playing, were you kind of just as into fashion and all yeah. that? Or? Okay. Yeah, I always have been. Like ever since I was a kid, like. As, as you see me here, I'm in the kitchen, family rooms are behind me, and you know, I'm at the end of the kitchen island. Uh, I'm rocking some, some Jordan PSG, uh, Paris Saint-Germain Jordan sweats, and, you know, All right. and a Nike hoodie. Too bad, All right. Too bad <laughs> PSG lost in the Champions League to Bayern Munich last week. But. Hey, the, the drip never stops. <laughs> right, it never does. <laughs> Man, it you could does. never catch a week C lack, and that's for no, sure. Can. I was raised that way, though. My, you know, my parents are old school that way, and they're always like, no matter where you go, like, Treat yourself with respect, respect your last name, respect your family, be presentable. It's a sign of pride and it's a sign of respect for all that. And it's also a sign of respect for other people, like be presentable, old school that way. So I'm always as comfortable as you see me here. I could be sitting here in a suit and, and feel just as comfortable and be on TV and be at the studio for eight hours, five hours, four hours, live, three hours and feel just as comfortable. Yeah. I can do an overseas flight from here in Newark to London Heathrow and rock a suit and feel as normal as I would in sweats. So um, I, that's something that's always been important. And I think a part of the hockey culture, that was the way I was raised. But in addition to the hockey culture, as you know, um, the minor youth teams I played for, we always had like custom stuff. And then uh, we wore dress shirt, white dress shirt, tie, gray slacks. So I always felt like that was a sign of, of looking the part and being the part. And, and some people have different looks, so I'm not trying to bang on other people. Some people like the grunge. Some people like the messy. Some people like the whatever. I like the pull together and the on point. Yeah, always be a pro, right? Hundred percent. Every day, all day. Um, okay. One thing I want to touch on here, Weeksy, you did a great job during like what was the hardest part of the quarantine shutdown and COVID and everything when people were just doing nothing. You provided a ton of content, and I mean, is that kind of on your spin or is that alongside no five hole? Where, where does that kind of align and where do you see it going moving forward? I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for that. I think the biggest thing for me is I always want to be a solution and always try to be a solution. And when the world stopped, I was on the air that night. And when sports stopped, I was literally on the air and we had to deliver, deliver the news. 
Mm-hmm. And I was alongside Tony Luckman was hosting that night and, and I was the analyst. And, you know, I always say you have to be big in the big moments. And that was a big moment. You know, that was a watershed moment. That's a you'll always remember when in history type moment. Mm-hmm. So for me to be able to speak through that alongside Tony to the NHL off to the NHL, sorry, uh, fans in the NHL world and the hockey world in general on the NHL network, which is the league's channel. Like that's, it's always a huge responsibility, but moments like that are massive. And from there, the world went on pause, sports went on pause. Everybody was trying to figure it out. You know, we're at MLB network where NHL network is. So we're in partnership with them. They were trying to figure it out. And for me at that point, like the only thing, there wasn't anything for me to figure out because a lot of these fans let us into their homes and their living rooms or their businesses uh, their basements, their bedrooms. I mean, via the TV or via all these different platforms, literally every day. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's an earned privilege for us. So whether the games are being played or not, I wanted to be uh, a conduit to that and wanted to show my appreciation for that and all the sense of uncertainty in people. Is, am I going to still be employed? Um, do I still have my health benefits? Is this, this, is this? The world's upside down for people. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to continue to be the voice that I had been in good times on the NHL network and continue to be that in, uh, in challenging times during this COVID. So all that said, I bootstrapped right here. I, I'm on my MacBook now, but on my iPhone and let's go live on IG mm-hmm. and just kept banging out IG lives with different people around sports and around our league and around the game and around business and wanted to give people, you know, some appointment yeah. viewing and some appointment content. So that more, that's been to answer you on the back end of that. That's no flypole, as you know, has, has always been about our apparel and you know, the, the lifestyle apparel around Oli and hockey and, and, and our sport. And from that point, we, we started to make a conscious effort to pivot more into content. And on a day like today, uh, and that's supply chain challenges, as you guys would know, Yep. All that you guys do, even at the scale that you're on, the massive scale, but that was challenges in and around manufacturing, decorating, supply chain, logistics, all that became difficult. Uh, even getting, filling orders and getting stuff in, in timely ways to, to our customers. So for me, we made a strategic pivot from that to content. And, you know, I, I told you this before, um, I'm on TV a lot. I'm on TV more than any hockey analyst in the world. It's a lot. I do a lot of television. But it's not just when I'm on TV. It's all the other media as well. So on a day like today, you know, this is interview number three for me, and I'm off mm-hmm. the air. Yeah. I won't be on NHL Network tonight. I'm off for the couple nights. But it's all the other media and all the other social and all the other stuff. Uh, so it's become really multimedia or transmedial, if you will. Yeah, 100%. And it's, the landscape is constantly changing, and yeah. you have to adapt with it. And that's something you and I have seen eye to eye on when we have our discussions is like, the world's always changing. You can't just sit and say, oh, this is how we've always done it. This is how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Everyone's changing. Your audience is changing. The way they're consuming is changing, consuming media and getting their information or getting their entertainment in this case. It's uh, it's something that you always got to kind of adjust with. But I think the best, such as yourself, always find a way to adjust and keep moving forward. So, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, people, people do want, I mean, you know, as I mentioned, being here, I've got this screen, which is the one in this now is my first screen right now here on the MacBook. Uh, I got my, my iPhone here on the side and then the TV's on and behind me. And, you know, at any given time, everybody has their own habits and we've read, 
a lot of us have kind of redefined what those habits look like mm-hmm. and, and how we consume and how we connect and how we interface. But this, uh, you know, t- you guys are in Michigan and then you are Kyle down in Tampa and then I'm in Jersey just outside New York City. And, you know, we could, we're, we're, we're doing this now by way of the tech that's involved and the bandwidth that allows for that too. So there's so many different ways to, to stay connected, to continue to be on the cutting edge mm-hmm. and connect with, uh, with the audiences in different ways. And I know for me, a lot of times, if I'm in the basement working out here at the house, I'm consuming something one way. If we're on a power walk, then outside I'm consuming something another way. If we're in the garage and the Pilates reformer, consuming something a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, in here, as I mentioned, in the house space, maybe consume things as many as four different ways by way of, of tech and media. So it's uh, so much has changed. So much of it has changed, but it's been really cool. And it's allowed us to be able to, through social and digital and, and tech uh, innovations, Zoom, all these different things, to be able to be uh, FaceTime, to be able to, to be everywhere at once, if that yeah. makes sense, and be in the same place at the same time or not be in the same place at the same mm-hmm. time completely making the world smaller and then you take yeah. it back to 94 when you were walking through the tunnel back to the trainer room you going back to the rotary grabbing it off the hold and, exactly. and, oh yeah coach i'll be there totally. to, uh you got three different ways to chat but i wanted to get into today's content and where things are at um i mean i've kind of always held my opinion on things and what's going on today you've addressed it a ton you you've you've dealt with it your entire life firsthand, but it's everyone keeps bringing up that it's a political issue, and I don't think it is. It's more about people. It's not it's not a political issue. It's something that everyone has to deal with, and humans have to deal with, and that's what I think people need to address and see it as. But I saw a comment, and I, this is the first question I have for you, Weeksy, is what is your response to somebody that says, I saw this on a post on Facebook, you know, one team said, an NHL team said, we're, we're here for everybody. Hockey's an inclusive sport, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I didn't understand the answer, but I knew what he said conflicted with what I had in my head. I just couldn't put it to words. And I think you might be able to, but he said, I've never been in a rink and saw that hockey was not, not inclusive. You never see a sign saying that someone can't come in, but you and I know, based on locker rooms and culture that that might not always be the case. So when someone says, well, we're not, not being inclusive. Anyone can be a ref. You just got to be good enough. Anyone can come in and play hockey. You just got to be, you know, good enough or you got to put the stuff on. What is your response to something like that? Well, okay. Here, here's, you laid out some, some great points and, and it leads for a great discussion on that. And one thing that I do know is, you either brush your teeth or you don't. Mm-hmm. There's no in between. And you know, if you listen to the great Arnold Schwarzenegger, he has this this video during his time, and he t- he says he goes, you can find it on YouTube. He's like, you either train or you don't. It's like it's that simple. One hundred percent. So the reason why I say that is, sports, for example, in our sport, if I want to, if I want to kind of distill it a little bit more. You either shoot the puck and you shot the puck or you didn't You either stop the puck or you didn't stop the puck. You either won the game or you didn't, or you lost the game or you tied it. If you're in a league where there's ties and no shootout, (laughs) but those things are indisputable facts. Yeah. 
those things are an opinion. There's no room for an opinion specific to the fact. Like, it is what it is. So one thing I know is whether I was playing at Frazier there in, uh, by you guys in Michigan or... Wait, wait, wait. You played at Frazier? Bro, where have you guys been? <laughs> like, you kidding me? Like, I go, you know, I go back to old school. Trip Tracy and I were talking about this yesterday. My good man, Trip Tracy, one of my best buddies. Yep. Voice of the Canes, one of the voices of the Canes. Great broadcaster and an even better person. Uh, Tripper grew up playing youth hockey there in Michigan and in Detroit. Yeah, he's connected I, with Mike too. Like they correct. know each other. Yep. Of course. And, you know, I mean, that's old school, like Art Van. That's me playing against Art Van with the brown and yellow uniforms and Michigan Travelers and GPD. Forget Honey Baked. Oh, my Caesars God. Yeah. was there. Okay. Compuware was there. So, you know, uh, Oak Park, like all the different rinks there uh, mm-hmm. that I would have played against. But I know from then – when the buzzer sounds, you win or you lose. Yeah. There's nothing to dispute. Like, there's nothing to talk about. So, to me, that's as, pardon the pun, black and white as possible. And that's one of the things that sports teaches you. Now, what you want to extrapolate from that based on what's convenient to you, that's another story. What you choose to write or try to rewrite about what did or didn't happen in the game, that's another story. But the scoreboard is a scoreboard. Right. And the stat sheet and the official stat sheet and I'm playing in the NHL, the official stat sheet is the official stat sheet. Mm-hmm. So people can try and interpret that the way they want. They can try to pretend. But the facts are the facts. And the facts are around this issue is, number one, I would love nothing more than to not have to talk about this issue, because mm-hmm. if you didn't have to talk about it and you're only talking about it for the wrong reasons in hopes of leading to solutions that lead to the the right reality if it if you didn't have to that would be much better for all of us because we'd be further down the line 100 percent. but the fact that you are and i'm going to boil this down the fact that your name is tommy and you woke up in the morning and you didn't brush your teeth and you come down to the kitchen your mom is going to say to you uh tommy get back upstairs brush your teeth wash your face and then come down Mm -hmm. it's that simple that's indisputable So around the racial inequality, this is something that's been happening for hundreds of years. It's not that it's convenient. It's no more, it's not convenient for me as the person that unfortunately has been on the wrong side of that. As a victim of that, it's not convenient. And believe me, I I wish it was the other way around and I wish it was a non-issue. But the fact of the matter is, it's an issue. Yeah. It continues to be because it was never properly addressed. It was never properly handled. It was never properly acknowledged. There hasn't been a complete sense of accountability around it. And when you do that around anything, you're actually in denial and you're in denial of the fact of the fact that there is a problem. So this now leads to, and unfortunately it's had to come at the expense of people losing lives needlessly. It's had to come at the expense of some knucklehead cops because there's amazing cops that are out there too. And there are pretty good cops that are out there too. And there are bad cops that are out there too. But some knucklehead cops that have taken things too far and used excessive force where it wasn't required. And the fact is it's documented by where these amazing things that we have now that are called smartphones, 
-hmm. And the world is able to see the indisputable evidence as a result of that. And I'll give you an example, and I have many, unfortunately, which is also a problem. But if you look at the Toronto Raptors and my hometown, the Raptors, you have a general manager, Masai Ujiri, who's super bright. One of the best general managers in, in the world of sports and t- GMs and team presidents now. And grew up in Africa, started playing the game, came to the U.S., played D2 college ball, started as a scout, paying his own way as a scout. Let me say it again. Paying his own way to scout. Scouting for free on his own dime. Mm-hmm. Then sleeping on a couch. Then pushing and then getting to work for, I think, Orlando and then the Denver, Denver Nuggets as their AGM, then their GM, comes to Toronto, does the same thing, helps the Raptors, puts together the championship team last year, wins a Larry OB. Can you imagine this gentleman? Can you imagine the depth of this guy? Imagine the class and what he's done to be where he is. And he's on the floor against the Golden State Warriors in the franchise's moment, and a historic moment for the game of basketball, a historic moment for Canada uh, as a country because we only have one NBA team there with the Raptors. And you help make history. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. And then you have a knucklehead security officer slash off-duty cop that starts pushing him when he comes to the floor. That doesn't want to allow him on the court. When he has his hand and his credentials in his hand inside his suit jacket. And then the cop pushes him one time. And then he pushes him a second time. Now, is somebody going to tell me that that's quote-unquote political? And it's actually, and if he didn't have, if his, if his lawyer and legal team, the Toronto Raptors and NBA security, if they were not able to obtain that video, which is indisputable evidence, in mm-hmm. fact, then it would kind of be out there for some of these same knuckleheads that say, well, that's political. Well, it's, we don't know. Well, it's not real. Well, he's exaggerating. And fortunately, they were able to get that tape. Yep. But it should never take that. And that's my big thing where the simple fact that we have to talk about that shows you the fact that it's a problem. And here's the other part on the back end. The fact that people get defensive around that also shows you that they know there's a problem. Mm -hmm. So be accountable. If I'm a goalie and I'm in the NHL and somebody scores on me from center ice, imagine the Zamboni driver. What's he doing? <laughs> Can't believe him. He didn't do the ice properly. The concession stand, section 105, they ran out of Kit Kat. If they had Kit Kat, <laughs> I would have made the save. The parking attendant pissed me off, man. When I came in here and I drove in, he didn't let, like, what are you talking? Just stop. The, they always say, just stop the puck. You know that yep. as goalies. They tell you that. 100%. My exact same thing that I say. Just stop the puck, man. Like, don't, don't come in here and try to manufacture and rewrite scripts. Yeah. Just stop racism. Be better. Be accountable. Minded. Be accountable. Hey, man, I'm so sorry. Or, hey, I never knew that hurt you. Or, hey, um, you know, that's, it's shocking. I'm disappointed. I might be embarrassed. I might feel shame. It might not, whatever. But ultimately, I can't feel as a perpetrator, I can't feel more shame than you are as a victim of something that shouldn't be happening to you. Do you get what I'm saying? 100%. And that's a big part of it for me. Like, you can't be the horse and the jockey at the same time. It's not possible. It's never been done before. Mm-hmm. And you can't be the perpetrator doing something you shouldn't be doing to someone. And then because the person's hurt, you're mad that they're hurt. And now you're trying to spin the fact that you're hurt, that they're hurt. 
Yep. And then you want to play the victim. Like, I don't understand that. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't do that. And I, I, at least the silver lining for this now guys is, and for the listeners out there is the fact that there are a lot of people that are amazing people that are very open and that are very compassionate and that are very empathetic and that are very accountable and general, generally speaking, really good people. And then there's some people that are kind of 50, 50, they're neutral. They're not necessarily a part of the solution, but they're not fully perpetuating the problem, but they're open-minded to listening to be better. And then you have a percentage of people that you mentioned at off the top that are just knuckleheads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the hard thing with them is ice is too icy. Hockey is too hockey. Water is too watery. Beach is too beachy. Sand is too sandy. Steak is too steaky. And no matter what it is that you do, that's a cup that you can never fill. Yep. Right. So, yep. Uh, you know, we always say you have to be full to pour. And even if you're not full, but there's something there, you can still pour. Mm-hmm. But when you're empty and you have holes in your glass, it's tough to pour. That's a tough, that's a tough thing. And I think that's where some people find themselves. So the silver lining is people have been, a lot of people have been great. We're having a conversation. Uh, a lot more people are being accountable and we're doing it in a way where, you know, for me guys, as a player, this is something I don't want, I don't ever want to see any other player have to go through the stuff that I went through to play. Yep. Yeah. It's concern. I don't want to see anybody's daughter go through that. I don't want to see anybody's granddaughter go through it. I don't want to see any front office staff have to go through it. I don't want any coach in the minors uh, to have to go through that any more than I had to go through that as a player or even in my early days as a broadcaster. Sometimes I'm going out West to Western Canada. Ironically, my girl's from Western Canada now from Calgary, but you know, I'd be going out west to do gangster hockey in Canada, and I'd be on the NHL. First of all, I just finished playing in the NHL. Yeah, yeah. Already a unicorn. <laughs> okay? I just finished playing in the league. And then I'm doing NHL Network Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Friday, let's say, I'm flying to do a game in Vancouver. All right, cool. So presumably the Canucks might have played twice during the week, right? Yeah. Just use it as an example. So which means I would have broken them down twice during the week on the league's channel that's a five billion dollar league and i'm the face of the league's network right like those are all yeah. facts yeah so so then we get to then let's say i get to van and the odd knucklehead fan what are you doing you don't know hockey you don't know the west you don't know what it is in the west you don't understand western hockey you don't pardon what <laughs> you use a different puck like what are you saying <laughs> yeah. but but all of that is code for and it's often code for, we just don't want you here. You're not, you're not on the right part of the color wheel and we're not comfortable with you being in this role. Mm-hmm. And it's just that a lot of people aren't as bold to be able to say that. Yes. But nonetheless, you know, I went through that for years. And nobody should ever have to go through that on the basis of, you know, where their parents are from, whether they're Italian, Greek, Portuguese, Indian, East Indian, um, Asian, black people of color, indigenous, uh, LGBTQ, Sikh, Hindu, Jewish. You should never have to go through that. Anyway. Yeah. I so think that's why I think it's a good time for this reset because that kind of archaic mentality, that's you don't get anything that's the best of the best with that type of yeah. mentality in life. Never. I think uh a huge part and we've seen it now is like athletes coming out and uh educating people because a big part of it is almost so many people are unaware of like what is going on and it's it's sad but like um in race and in sport like i mean just as a kind of 
example, like you go up in the 300s of uh, Amelie Arena in Tampa and like there's a lot of Florida people, fans who know nothing about the game of hockey and hearing what they say, it's, it's funny to listen to. But so many people, they don't know not only about hockey, but about what's going on socially and racially and in our country. And it's like people have to educate themselves. You can't just spew out stuff if you have no idea what's going on. And that's, uh, I think that's why there's such a disconnect um, all over. You're right. And, and, you know, it's incumbent on people to, to not have their head, not have their head in the sand. And, you know, I'll use Tampa. You mentioned Tampa, right? So um, my favorite restaurant in the world, and there are many is Burns Steakhouse in Tampa. Oh yeah, baby. It's the goat. And I've been going to Burns since I played there when I was 23. I'm 45. I've been going to Burns for 22 years. It's the yeah. best. It's the standard. It's the Disney of food, attention to detail, the story, the the hyper sense of greatness and part of me, commitment to excellence and service and hospitality. Ten, 10 stars, 10 bells across the board. What if I were to tell you, yeah, well, it's not really though. Yeah, well, it's in Tampa. It's not in New York though. Yeah. Yeah, it's Tampa, but it's not London or Paris or LA or San Fran, though. Yeah, well, it's kind of good, but you know, the steak, it's yeah. I, I, come on. <laughs> that's how that's how ignorant you make yourself sound. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I use Tampa and I use that as an example where 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 Burns is concerned. They're the greatest because they're the greatest and they're great because they're great and what they do and 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 who they are and what they're committed to. Yeah. They're not any less great because they're not in a quote-unquote major city. Yeah. And they wouldn't be any greater if they were in a major city. They're just great on the basis of what makes them great and at the heart of that. And, you know, if you look at MacDill Air Force Base, for example, you know, I used to host families from MacDill when I played there. You know, it's all fun and games to, to, you know, to talk smack and to, you know, pretend that you're uh, – and then to say that it's a quote-unquote political issue. It's a human rights issue, actually. And it's no different than, you know, imagine being there and then, I don't know, you've got a, you have a female, an Asian female soldier uh, and an air woman that is going on a, that's going on a mission, leaving out of McDill. Like you're sleeping in your bed and you're comfortable and you're cracking beers in your backyard and she's on watch for us. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, and, and her last name might be more of an Asian heritage last name, but she's every bit as American as you are. And she's, exactly. defending, you know, and she's defending our freedom and she's flying in an F-117 or an FC-35 or an F-22 Raptor or, or she's an Spectre gunship. And she's now on a mission and now she's deployed and now she's in hostile airspace. You know what I mean? Do you not want her to do that? Do you not want her to protect you because she doesn't look like you? Like, we have so many people. You go in a hospital, right? You go into, let's say, heaven forbid, your son's sick, and you go into Houston Medical Center, and you're in Houston, and you go into this pediatric ward. I mean, are you? Is it a buffet? Like, you're gonna say, well, ooh, no, the head pediatrician, he's black. Ooh, he's African American. I don't know. I don't want my kid to get better that much. Um, That's Cody, are you really sick? Uh, give me one sec. Just let me take a look at the lineup and see who's available here. Like that would never happen. Yeah. So I just feel like it's cool that we live in an amazing place where we have a lot of infinite choices, which is amazing. 
and a lot of those quote unquote freedoms that we have. But one thing that is across the board that any functional person in society should be able to agree upon is that every single one of us, uh, regardless, of, we're, we're from rural America, you're from urban America, you're from inner city America, you're from suburban America, you're from coastal America, um, first generation, second generation, black, white, Greek, it doesn't really matter who you are, um, Latino, doesn't matter. Everybody deserves the right to be treated like a proper human being. And that's really at the heart of it. And for us, that's been disproportionately not the case. And certainly for me in hockey at different points with different people, that's been disproportionately not the case. Whether it's opportunity, whether it's 30 cents, 40 cents on the dollar versus my comps, whether it's 70 cents on the dollar versus my comps in terms of contract, whether it's playing time, whether it's front office opportunity, whether it's people that are aspiring to coach, any of these different things. And those are things that we have to address. And at least finally now we're able to address them and, and hopefully we can continue to chart a course forward towards improving that. 100%. And I think that the, this leads into my next question, but now there is a conversation. There's a conversation mm-hmm. being had. There's awareness being brought up. And I think there's certain people that you just can't, you know, you won't always be able to drive it home with them because sure. they're shut off. And, you know, like, like you said, there's just holes in the cup, right? It's never going to make sense to them. But I wanted to ask what your thoughts are, because there's so many contradicting views on athletes speaking up and the effects of not playing. People say, well, this is, this is, you know, I work all day. You know, you guys don't understand. I'm a working man. I come home. This is my sense of entertainment. And you guys take that away. I'm never going to be a fan again. Or you guys stick to playing hockey. You know, if I wanted to get my news, I get it from somewhere else, not an athlete. But I think that what people don't understand is in today's day and age, they carry so much weight with what they say, what they value, how they act and how they're viewed in front of not only adults, but more importantly, kids, the values they've drive home. I think that centers that line. But when someone says that these guys should just play, they shouldn't speak up. They shouldn't have a voice like this. Like all you are is an athlete. What is your, what would be your response to those people? I would say, first of all, it's, that's a false sense of ownership. And, you know, I know what I own and I know what I don't own. And I know the property that I own, including this home. And I know what I don't own. And I know what I work hard to own and I know what I don't. And, you know, as, as much as we love and appreciate our fans and you know how much I love connecting with them as we're doing here on your platform Mm -hmm. on, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I love connecting with the fans. I love resonating with them. I, I appreciate all of them. Since my playing days, I sign autographs, uh, do community service and the rest of it. But here's something to keep in mind, okay? Here's something I'll show you, and the viewers won't be able to see this because we're recording this via Zoom. But it's funny you said that. I just saw this on – take a look at that. Oh, wow. (laughs) Throwback. Oh, man, look at the chesty and the baby. That's incredible. (laughs) Okay, so that's me as a member of the Canes. Somebody just posted that. And you can see my, uh, my V6000, I think, or my V Legacy upper body, arm and body there with my, my, my Vaughn throat guard. And you see the baby there. And this is for Kids in the Community Foundation for the Carolina Hurricanes during my time there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's my thing to you for the people that say that. Again, that starts with a false sense of ownership. And I don't care if you're Jerry Jones, if you're Mr. Carmanos, who owns, still retains ownership share in the Canes. 
if you are Bill Foley, the majority owner of the Vegas Golden Knights, I don't care who you are. As an owner in the ownership suite, you own the team. You might own the building, right? The arena. You might own the practice facility. You own the franchise. You own the rights to the players. You own the rights to the coaches and you're contractually obligated with your staff, but you don't own the people. <laughs> Let's be very clear. And as a fan, I grew up the biggest Michael Jordan fan ever. I grew up Grant Fuhrer, all these NHL goalies, Richter, Hasek, and I was fortunate because I got to play against all my heroes in hockey. <clears throat> but as a fan, in no way, shape, or form do I have any percent of ownership stake of any of those as people. And that's a very clear line that needs to be really enforced. You can own a jersey. You might have bought a jersey. You might have a season ticket package. And all those things are amazing. We love you. And some foam fingers and some pennants. And that's amazing because, you know, I love all you NHL fans and sports fans in general. Love you. But once you start stepping into those waters, now you're trying to tell somebody that you own them as a human being. And you don't. And what I would also say to that, boys, is this. That same picture that I showed you, that doesn't happen if you just want guys to play and girls to play. Yeah. All the Make-A-Wish Foundation visits, that's not going to happen anymore then. All of the critical care patients that you visit in the hospitals, you know, we have people on both sides of our family that work in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And my mom worked at Sick Kids Hospital for years back in Pullman, Toronto. I can't tell you how many times Vince Carter was in there. I can't tell you how many times Austin Matthews goes in there. And different players from different sports go in there. And guys, those of us and girls who maybe are from Toronto that never even played for our hometown pro teams that go in there. And you're in that oncology unit and you're signing an autograph or you, you know, you're in Detroit's Children's Center or you're at University of Michigan uh, Healthcare Center or you're doing visits with, as I have, as I told you, with the men and women in the families at McDill Air Force Base or in Carolina at Fort Bragg Air Force, in Fort Bragg uh, Military Base or going to Walter Reed Medical Center in Washington and seeing wounded veterans or the USA Hockey Warriors uh, that are wounded veterans and my great friend Joe Bowser and my buddy J.B. Spiso who was an Army Ranger and going to West Point. Point is, boys and girls clubs, literacy stuff, YMCA's, local rinks, all that stuff, if you say you just want athletes to play, all that stuff goes away. Mm -hmm. Hockey fights cancer. Oh, yeah. Away. Huge. All those things go away. And believe me, why I talk about that is this is not a buffet. What players and teams and leagues do as agents of change is not only vis-a-vis -vis the games and the practices and the performances. More importantly, because you only play so few of them. More importantly, it's the things that they do in everyday life. Mm -hmm. and, and those are the things going to Vancouver Children's Hospital, where I've been before, going to these different places and places that I've lived and played or have family in. And so many players, Sidney Crosby, Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane. I can go up and down the players that have done and that currently do so much and the teams, fundraisers, military appreciation night, um, you know, youth shelters, women's shelters. None of those things happen. And if you don't want them to happen, again, that's your choice if you want to play the buffet game.
But all those things then go away if people that say that say that. And then athletes then would say, would then only, per them, quote unquote, stick to sports. And then you could sit in your recliner and drink two Coors Lights and then there you have it. But the next time something comes up, make sure you don't go to that mall and you don't run into Dylan Larkin and you don't go, oh, that's, that's my daughter's favorite play. No, that's not happening now. Yeah. Because you said that you want them to stick to sports. You don't want them to be people. Yep. You know, heaven forbid you're stuck on the side of the road and you're in a fiery car crash and Jimmy Howard's going to practice and he sees you, but you want him to quote unquote stick to sports, then he's going to keep it moving as opposed to his human instinct, which is proper. Jesus, yep. let me get out of the car, call 911. Let me do what I can do. Let me try and help you. Help people. Correct. Just, I mean, never be too cool. Never be too cool. No matter who, I don't care how much of a fan you are. I'll always be a fan, but I'm a guy that I know what it means to have 10 cents in my pocket and go to the convenience store. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Never forget that. I know what it means so, to have 50 cents in my pocket and go to the convenience store and go to Sizzler and play in the American league and be on the, be up and down the highway till I 80 and all these different things till I 95 till <laughs> four in the morning. I know what it is to go up and down 401 from Detroit all the way back to Ottawa, back in the other east end of that corridor and, and get in Ottawa at 5 a.m. and it's minus 30 and, and your car doesn't start. So I'll never forget what that is. So I share that with the fans. I know what it is. I wasn't born in NHLville. I keep it real. Yeah. But in keeping it real, you got to keep it real. And you got to realize that these players and these athletes and these teams, they're real people. We're all real people in the business and we like to do real people things. And we just can't select from the buffet what those real people things yeah. look like. We're here to be a solution, not a problem. 100%. And I know we've uh, definitely gone over the time okay. we kind of brought up to you, but it's definitely okay. important topics. So, and I'm, I'm not sure there's a specific answer to this or even an idea of what we could do, but I know there's been a lot of criticism on players and management and especially owners about not doing enough. What do you want to see uh, really out of management or even leadership in the NHL where there could be more change instead of just a lot of it right now might be considered talk where, where can you see uh, real physical change happening? It's has to start internally and yeah. internally don't tell me that, you know, a player from Western Canada has quote unquote character cause he's from there and Glenn Metropolit, who I talked about earlier, who come from Regent Park back home in, uh, in government housing in the hood. Don't tell me he doesn't have character because he made the NHL too against all yeah. us. You know what I mean? So let's stop romanticizing and idealizing and, and, uh, and romanticizing one narrative and then demonizing another narrative. You know, if it's that player, if it's, let's say, Blake Wheeler. They're going to say Blake Wheeler is really, really competitive. Oh, he went to the bench. He broke his stick. He's a competitor. Mark Scheifele went to the, to, the, to the boards and to the bench. He broke his stick. Scheife is a competitor. If that happens to be Seth Jones, even though he's smooth and he's quiet, then they're going to, some people are going to say, well, he's got an attitude problem. Look at him. He's mad. Like, what do you mean? It's the same stick. He's yeah. just on a different shade of the color wheel. You know what I mean? He's frustrated that the play went wrong. You know what I'm saying? But all of those types of things, that type of speech, that type of those narratives in terms of talking about people, in terms of seeing people, in terms of how you treat people internally and every NHL franchise, for example, 
32 now with Seattle who have been very progressive, as you can see. Yeah. Uh, they're hiring people from different backgrounds, different genders. They've been amazing that way. They've been great catalysts in that respect. But starting at all 32 NHL teams, internally within your organizations, eradicate that type of speech and behavior. Yeah. And anybody that's in violation of that too many times, you know, maybe it's a suspension, maybe it's mandatory training. And in the event that it happens too many times, you're just gone. Your liability, you're out. Mm-hmm. Coach, GM, trainer, Bill Peters, all you're gone. Then also become more open-minded in having the best of the best. Not just saying this is the best of the best offensive defensemen, but the best of the best people in general. Mm-hmm regardless as to what they look like, what language they speak, what their last name is, their color, gender, all these different things, sexuality uh, in terms of orientation. Um, Any of those things also eradicated. Fan fan conduct as well, because it's not just on the the teams. Fan conduct within the building, like you're just talking about. Any knucklehead, you're gone. I paid my money. Perfect. You're never paying it again. Not here. You're not allowed at this venue. You're gone. In addition to that, uh, continue to expand upon, as I said, your, your expand your hiring practices across all roles in the organizations and across the league. In addition to that, continue to leverage those relationships, which our league has many, and I know them for a fact. I've spoken on Capitol Hill on behalf of the league. You know, I've been to the Pentagon. I've been to the White House, all these different things. Expand those relationships with a lot of those uh, senators and congresswomen and congressmen, lobbyists, lawmakers to continue to effectuate change, not only in our sport, but also look for reform in and around some of these things that are challenging the communities at large across the nation and across Canada as well too, back home, because this is not a US issue only by any stretch. And then I think when the NHL does those things, that then cascades and they demand that from the, from the summit of the mountain that is the NHL down to you know the pro East Coast American League, all the pro leagues mm-hmm. across the board, junior U.S. college, and then more importantly, the, the, the real base of the pyramid, which is your critical mass, which is youth hockey, minor hockey, as we say in Canada, youth hockey, as we say here, and hockey Canada and USA hockey here. And I've been to USA hockey out in Colorado Springs, literally during the outdoor game in February at the Air Force Academy with the Athens Kings. And, and at this level, code of conduct, the exact same thing. Fans, coaches, players, administrators, Code of conduct. And anybody that's in violation of that, you're gone. If you're a parent, you're not allowed at, at the rink for the rest of the year. That's it. You can come back next year after you had time to think about it. And if, you, if you're a violator one more time or a perpetrator, you're gone for life. You can't come back. And if you're an opposing coach and you act like that, you're a knucklehead, you're, you, whatever, I don't know, 30 games or half the season. If it happens a second time, you're gone, can't come back. For a player, you know, because these are girls and boys, you're teenagers, whatever, you're 10, you're 9, never makes it right, but at least they have an opportunity, you hope, to change with instruction that they did the wrong thing and here's the right thing and here's why. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a 20-gamer, because I know in youth hockey back home, I think the league's like 42 games, regular season. So maybe it's a 20-gamer. If it happens again, you're gone for the season. Yeah. Because you know what, it's an earned privilege to be here. And I don't care if you paid a ticket, because I paid tickets before as a, as, a, as whatever, a youngster, and my parents have. So whether you pay, whether you're there to coach, you earn the right to be there. Whether you're there as a GM or whatever, you earn the right to be there. Whether you're a trainer, you earn the right. Whether you're a player, you earn the right. Whoever, however you get in the doors, you've earned the right in your own way. But you haven't earned the right to be an idiot. <laughs> like, that's what people don't understand. Yeah. 
You haven't earned the right to be a clown show. Mm-hmm. You've earned the right to be there in the capacity that you're there in, but you haven't earned the right to disrespect somebody else as a human being on the basis of any of those things. Mm-hmm. You haven't earned that right. And that needs to be very clear and it needs to be very zero tolerance that way. And I think now more than ever, guys, if I show you my phone, I told you direct messages, I coach six minority players. Here's what happens. I'm in Toronto and whatever, youth hockey. I'm in this team. My granddaughter, this happened. Somebody said this to me because I wear a turban. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, honestly, the game's hard enough. <laughs> like, it's hard enough to skate, shoot, score, pass, deflect, and make saves. It really, and hit. It really is. Mm-hmm. So you're going to compound the, the difficulty or the degree of difficulty of playing with needless stupidity? No, 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 no. That can't happen. And anybody that does that and those people that empower them to do that, they need to be gone. 100%. And that's probably what happened in Carolina with Bill Peters. And I'll speak on that because I know the quality of people that they have in Carolina. And I played there and, you know, I've got a lot of lifelong friends there. My man, Roddy Brindamore is an amazing coach, an amazing person, top class, Trip Tracy, um, Johnny Forslund for years until right now, Mike Maniscalco, the trainers, Skippy, Bobby, like Skippy. it's Burke's yeah, Skip Cunningham, he's like 60-something years young, carries like four hockey bags on two on each arm post-game. Like, a G, those guys are awesome people. Mm-hmm. But all that to say, what was happening on that Bill Peters situation there and, and what happened with him in Chicago, but what happened there and how we treated Eddie Lack and that kind of stuff, no, nah, man, can't have that. Yeah. Can't have that. And then what he did in, in, you know, in Rockford, can't have that. No, those are the things. Listen, we can all get hot. People are going to get frustrated. You're going to say some things. You're going to curse. You're going to whatever. Okay, it's hockey. We all know that. But you still have to do that in a way that's respectful to people. And you can't, um, you can't demoralize people on the basis of their color or where they're from or where their parents are from or the fact that you know, their mom has an Irish accent or whatever. You, that, there's no space for that. There's zero space for that. And I think, I think the main underlying thing that you're bringing up though, is we have to raise the bar. There has to be a standard because beforehand there wasn't, there isn't today. It yeah. just, people got away with what they got away with, but now we're raising the bar. We're setting a standard for ourselves to where this is how you should treat other people. Because before I, I always bring this up, the shop, the shopping cart uh, policy, I guess. Right. In a, in a world with a shopping cart, you're free to not have to put it away. You don't have to, but ideally, right. Any just person would, so it's not in the way of others. It's not disturbing anyone else that's parking the car. It's not going to run into somebody's car. There is no standard there, but you can do it. You should do it, but you don't have to. And that's what happened with society is when people weren't told what to do, it was just freewheeling. And the issue is people forgot other people have feelings. They're not treating others how you need to be treated or how you want to be treated. Excuse me, excuse me the golden rule. And I think now all we're doing is we're setting a bar we're raising the standard of how you just treat others. And it really shouldn't be that difficult, but it is for some people. But that's where we have to change the landscape of the game. So that way, people that do treat people poorly, like you said, a coach can't be, they can't exist anymore within the league. They're done. They're out for yeah. games. You have to change. And if you don't change, you're done. You're done, done. You know what I mean? I'm a, listen, the landscape. I'm a player, right? I was a player. I was a goalie. I played in the league. Does this mean I can go into the grocery store? and hack somebody in the back of the legs as if they're in front of the net screening me. If they're in front of the produce section, I'm trying to get to the grapefruits. <laughs> like, what are you saying? Do you know what I mean? Like who does, like who would even think to do that? 
So this is my thing. It's like, okay, well, I want to watch my sports or I want, we all do. You don't want to watch your sport. You, no disrespect. You're not even in the league. Yeah. Like yeah. you, you, you want to watch it more than Sid wants to play it. Like you want to watch, you think you want to watch it more than Tom Brady wants to be on the field. Like you want to watch it more than the late Kobe Bryant wanted to play it or Ronaldo Cristiano Ronaldo wants to play it or Lionel Messi. Come on, man. Like let's kind of realize where we fall on the, on the, on the spectrum of certain things. The fact of the matter is where that's concerned, it's not about how much you want it. It's about the fact that the people, for those of us that are in it, mm -hmm. need to be treated properly and deserve to be treated properly and fairly. And that's not only within the context of the sport. As I said, sport's only X amount of hours, but out there in everyday life. I'll tell you guys quickly. I come here, we come here, and I'll, I'll call them out right on this show. Go into TD Bank in Clifton, New Jersey when moving back here, when the NHL network moved back here from Toronto. Mm -hmm. Lived in the U.S. for 15 years. Come back, back here at the time. It's been 20 years total now. Come back here, walk into the bank. Hey, listen, I need personal visa, personal checking, personal savings, business visa, business checking, and a mortgage. Uh, got my same Xenia shoulder bag from Milan over there. All my cards, all my information, everything, passport, green card, U.S. resident, all the different things going on, all the whatever, everything's in there. Yep. All right, cool. Binder, network statements, all the whatever, everything's in there. All the paperwork, yep. Ah, uh, ooh, ah. Uh, well, we might be able to get a couple of the accounts open. Uh, okay. Let me get my business manager on the phone. So I call my business manager. She's on a different specter of the color wheel than I am. Get her on the phone. She's on speaker, going through everything. She's giving real-time information, sending real-time emails, real-time screenshots. I have stuff physically. Everything's outlined. Ooh, we don't know. Uh, pardon? Well, we don't know. Okay, here's credit rating. Here's this. Here's whatever. Well, I don't know. You're... You're an independent contractor. You're not an employee of, but you're a contractor, but you're a business owner, but ah. Bro, I've been in the NHL for 22 years. You're telling me I can't get a mortgage here? Are you real? Like, how is this even happening? Yeah. Well, we're going to put it to our, our regional mortgage officer, and our re regional mortgage officer is going to take a look at the file. He'll be in touch. There's no guarantees. We'll be in touch. We'll let you know. And no mortgage. Go to another TD bank. Same thing. Eh, no mortgage. Go to another one. Eh, no mortgage. Go to Chase Bank. Eh, no mortgage. Finally, I had to buy the house in cash. Jeez. Now, that's me, right? Yep. Now, this is, okay, you played pro 14 years, 11 years in the NHL, 12, 11 years broadcasting. What are we, 23, 20 whatever years being in the NHL? That's me. Now, what about the person that might not be in me and our situation? Yeah. If I felt disempowered, how do they feel? And that's access to capital with capital mm -hmm. as a non-risk, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? 100%. Like as a non-risk. And what's the reason? Is it because I played for the Devils, Islanders, and Rangers? I played for all three teams here. 
Yep. I'm the face of a league's network. That's a $5 billion league. I've got my business affairs in order. Um, you know, financially, I have a business manager, all these different things, tax returns. That's the type of disadvantage and the type of, the type of needless marginalization that should never be happening. Mm -hmm. And again, that's happening to me. So I can tell you guys this on this platform, but imagine, you know, family, hardworking family X or hardworking young girl who's an entrepreneur who's doing really well, who's starting her thing and who's on her way and doing well. And she's trying to buy her first home as a first time homeowner. Mm-hmm. What would happen to her? I've been a homeowner for 20, whatever years prior to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the type of thing to crystallize it for anybody that didn't understand, um, you know, from a hockey standpoint, but as I said, more from a life every day, cause that's more important as much as we love our sport and we love our gear and we love, you know, the game, um, you know, hockey exists inside society and inside life, not the other way around. 100%. 100%. Well, Kevin, I want to say thank you again so much for the time. This is way more than we had originally asked for you. And I'm sorry about that, but I think we had a great discussion and I think the takeaway here is going to be huge for a lot of people, but thank you again. We can't wait to see what happens moving forward. And, uh, what you got cooking and uh, your next couple of interviews. So best of luck. And we'll have to uh, talk to Scotty, Husey and uh, Woodsy and see what we can get drumming for that next set. Sound good? Let's do that, man. Appreciate that. Thank you guys so much. It was an awesome discussion. Thank you both. Uh, you guys were amazing. It was fun. Thanks to all the listeners that tuned in. Thanks to all the fellow goalie, goalie nerds like us and goalie aficionados and Vaughn fans and uh, all you NHL fans around the world. I know people are listening from different places right now. Some of you are here in North America. A lot of you are around the world in in different spots, and and we appreciate you. And also, thanks to a lot of the compassion that we've heard, not only from you guys here, but the compassion and empathy that we've heard from different fans around the world and all of your support, and also the NHL players and the non-players of color and the um, non-minority players standing up and and banding together and unifying in in support of us and trying to uh, create a nice equalization and, and a level playing field and, and just great treatment of people in general as we go forward. So thanks so much. 100%. And don't be afraid if you don't already follow him and you probably do make sure you catch his Instagram at Kev weeks, K E V W E E K E S. So thank you again, Kevin. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much, boys. Appreciate you guys, man. Thanks a million. Yeah. No thank we'll thanks for having me, boys. That was awesome. Great job. You guys. Another big shout out to Kevin Weeks for taking the time. I mean, he gave us more than enough time to kind of go through that. But I think as we got into the second half, like the discussion we were having was too important for him to kind of walk away. And he just, his insight really, you know, opened my eyes to a different perspective. I always see it from his side of things, but it showed me kind of a different way to look at things, which is always a new point of view. But what did you think, Kyle? Oh, for for sure. I mean, obviously it's a really serious conversation that needs to be had. And hopefully the listeners can kind of get a few things from it because obviously um, personally, like from my background in the game, um, you know, you might cross paths with, there's not that much diversity. So to hear from the perspective of a guy who went through it his entire career um, and, and kind of talked about where there does need to be changes and and how to do it. Like, I think that's super helpful and um, there's not enough of that really out there right now. And, um, that's the conversations that 
we need to put out there. So huge thanks to Weeksy, and uh, hopefully we can all come together and uh, really make hockey as inclusive as possible. I think, too, you made me just think of this. At the end, his last discussion that we had, it's okay to have had a past. He's not about the cancel culture at all because it's not about what you did before. It's how you approach yourself moving forward. Yeah. It's being accountable. And maybe some things that were said or done might have been wrong, but you need to learn at this point in 2020. You kind of have to learn from that. And if you accept and say, I am sorry, and you apologize yeah. and you let everyone know you're going to make the active choice to be better yeah. moving forward and have a different mindset that's completely different but if you look at stuff that goes on today and you continue to go about how you have always been and you know you might lead life with a little bit of ignorance mm-hmm. that it's just unacceptable at this point in time but with that being said we don't want to keep you guys any longer thank you for listening thank you for always tuning in every week make sure if you haven't you subscribe follow Leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, shoot Kyle a DM at New Jack's Airbrush and send him all your complaints. Uh, and that'll <laughs> be uh, that's it for this week. We'll see you guys next week. Kyle, see ya. See ya.